0: which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth, and oftentimes, tragedy brings joy. So, tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes, and join me as we begin our Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey everybody, are Piggins here, sleepily starting episode 34 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. And this is episode three in my fourth season, and this season is focusing a bit on the realities of raising a baby at 58. And of course with my life, everything sort of intermingles. And so I'm not just talking about my day-to-day experiences with Jack, I'm talking about a lot of things and I'm hating how my hair looks right now. As I record this, Kenny is taking Jack to big boy school and I am rushing around her usual, like a crazy woman, trying to get ready for my surgery. So this afternoon, I'm recording this on April 11th. You won't hear it for a couple of weeks. I'll be well into the thick of <laughs> pin sticking out of my toes by the time you hear this, but I'm heading off today to have my foot operated on. So this is actually a good place to start because I had this very same surgery in the first year of Molly's life, or maybe the second year of Molly's life. I inherit naturally buniony, hammer toe feet from my mother's side of the family, or perhaps both, hard to say. And 17 years ago, Molly was, I believe she was two. I had this foot surgery. Maybe she was one. At any rate, I have bunions and hammer-toes. And so they have to like break the bone and straighten the toe and put pins in and cut the tendons and put pins in and all of this sort of stuff. And it was very, very, I was in a lot of pain. I remember teaching at Concord High School at the time and really hobbling around, really, really hobbling around, limping around on my foot because it was very painful. That's what happens. And I'm right back to that point. There are several things I can't do in the CrossFit gym. If I wear shoes for too long, the pain in my toes is ridiculous. That's why I wear Crocs always. (laughs) I like 10 pair. I'm having the surgery again. And when I made this appointment, I went to the same doctor. And his thought was, let's just fuse the toe joint. So that would mean it wouldn't bend, which means I would really hobble around. I wouldn't walk normally. I could do less that way than I can do now with the pain. So of course I said, no, thank you. (laughs) No, 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 that's not what I want to do at all. I'm having the same surgery redone. In the process of starting this podcast and in the search for why did Molly die and taking the thousand tiny steps back, a lot of changes in my life occurred right around the time I had this surgery 17 years ago. I had it in 2005. The spring of 2005 was my first surgery. I had some stomach surgery in the summer and I had my right foot done in November of 2005. I remember once putting us a Facebook status and I said, 2005 to the Wayback Machine. Now, the Wayback Machine was Mr. Peabody. It was a cartoon when I was little. A very, very, you know, sort of educational cartoon about Little boy Simon and Mr. Peabody and how they had a time machine it was called The Wayback Machine and you can go back and see things. And it was like a history cartoon, I loved it. And I remember putting that as my status a few years after 2005, because that really was in many ways, the beginning of the end of BARB, as I had that foot surgery. And a lot of this is just coming to me now. You know, I try to plan my podcast so that I don't sound unprepared, but really I'm a gut person and things come to me sometimes as I talk. So I'm having this surgery and I realize sometimes that life is indeed a circle or a spiral. And things either go around and have closure or they spiral around and come back and come back until you either have them learned or have them figured out or expand upon them. It's an interesting way to look at life. Life is just not linear. Although we are walking forward, birth is behind us, death is ahead of us. Really, I believe that life is a very, very spiral or circular journey. I don't think it's just linear. And I don't think you can put things away and have them stay where you put them. I think they come back and look at you in the face. It's nine. 30 ish I had to get down and get some crutches and the woman at the store I went to the prescription center which is a very locally owned pharmacy in Concord where I live and they have a medical supply area and the crutches she goes, okay these crutches are like have a life of their own and they were they kept falling over they wouldn't stay put the tag scanned as youth even though they were adult like it was just everything that could be weird with these crutches that <laughs> happened so I've decided that they're secretly my broomstick I'll fly around on them eventually so we had a nice a nice visit but You know it just brings to mind sometimes how little control we have over a lot of things and i feel this way often (laughs) sometimes you know in our desire to control 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 everything just falls apart i love this movie called homeless to harvard and there's a scene in that movie it's about a girl that's homeless and she ends up getting into harvard and two parents a sister her and both parents are very very bad drug addicts and her father appeared in the movie to have some sort of autism spectrum type thing, which you could see in the in the 70s, why that would make you a drug addict, because we didn't understand people with autism at that time. Anyway, one of the big scenes in this movie that I love is that they've hidden the money. So they have food and the mother's like in for drugs and she's going nuts and she's searching the house, searching the house. And the younger daughter has the money in her hands and she holds it up and she gives it to the mother and the mother takes off and gets high. And the older sister is like, what the hell is wrong with you? Now that was our food money. And The little girl just wanted her mother and love her. She would just hold on to wanting things the way they should be, the apartment that they lived in. Even though it was bad, it was safe and it was what she knew. And that scene gutted me from the beginning. I mean, it just really gutted me from the beginning. And I didn't always, you know, understand why sometimes, but it did. And I think looking at my life now, 20 years after showing that movie to my health classes, I have better perspective and I can see that that we try hard in our panic-stricken moments to keep things the way they were. This book right here, Girl Online, has been on the living room end table since Molly put it there. And it used to have the page that she was on, you know, this was on the page and just not let anyone touch it. It's just stayed there. It's been one of those things. I thought it could stay there forever. And Jack-Jack got around a little barrier and I didn't notice it. I was busy setting up a fundraiser. And I look up and he's taken the whole book cover off the book. And so I start bawling. I mean, i really, really crying hard. Cry. I texted Gracie about it, like it's nothing, it's a book, but she put it there and I, you know, I've had six years to memorize what page she was on so I could put it back, but I didn't. And it just, it's a book and it's a page, but it really exemplifies for me how much I want to hold on to things, how much I want certain things to be the same so that I know I'm safe and that everything is okay. I will tell you, this is a very, very trauma-based way of thinking, and it's not abnormal for someone like me at all. Actually, it's probably not abnormal for a lot of people. I just had this desire to keep things the same in this one little book. You know, and I look at the number of things that are no longer where Molly put them. The big holdout now is the wall in her bedroom and the dance costumes in the closet in the hallway. And all these things have to be addressed at some point, but it just, it just wrecked me. So as I start episode 34, the general gist of this episode is physically and some ways emotionally how it's different. How is it different Raising Jack now? at 58 as it was having Gracie at 38 and then Molly at 40. There are several things that are vastly different. And some things came to mind in that process. So one of the things I am learning, and I think Molly's death is teaching me this, is that grasping to things to keep them the same doesn't keep them the same. It locks you into a spot that you're holding on to out of panic that is perhaps not best utilized. So think of fighter flight and our stress response and our emergency response systems you know holding on to a buoy in the middle of the ocean until you're rescued is important but when the boat comes if you can't let go of the buoy you can't get pulled out of the water and sometimes that's the best analogy i can take for things i've tried to hold on to and wanting wanting them to stay the same there are aspects of my relationship with kenny that i cling to and hold on to because they're positive and solid and i want positive and solid in my life there is so much heartfelt emotion around roy that i cling to and that's a whole different <laughs> that's an entirely different season. But, but it's important because you're involving people and emotions and feelings and processing all of that. And there are things with Jack and raising Gracie and Molly, things I want the same and things that I don't want the same. I think Jack is a huge lesson for me, a huge practice session and not holding on and not clinging to what you think is okay. When I say the words, it sounds so unhealthy and I don't think I mean it to be that way. And perhaps it is unhealthy and that's why it sounds that way. But you know, people ask me, Oh, well, will Jack dance? Will Jack go to preschool? Will Jack do this and this? And I am absolutely sure I do not want to repeat for Jack, Molly and Gracie's life because look at how that ended up. <laughs> so there are times when I really, really think deeply about it. 58 year old Barb versus 38 year old Barb. We can start a little bit with the physical differences because that's a pretty black and white place to start. I'm a 58 year old athlete. My body hurts all the time. Some of the hurt has been brought on by years of. Overuse, Uh, I think my feet are a good example. You know, dancing and then running on bunion-esque feet can cause a great deal of pain. My shoulders hurt. My shoulders and upper back are in so much pain all the time. So I have some minor injuries in my shoulders. I think all of us do. I think shoulders are not necessarily put together in a way that manages 80 years of life or 100 years of life. I'm told I need surgery on my right shoulders for a torn rotator cuff. So I do have some minor tears in there. I'm not going to have surgery. I can work around the surgery. I can I can do a lot of rehab and strengthening and mobility work to keep my shoulders from needing to be operated on. My feet are a different story. That's not soft tissue that I can massage into good health. It's bone structure and you know and all that. My great grandfather always said that good health started with your feet. And I remember as a little girl, we did not have a lot of money, and I had brand new Stride Right shoes every year. And Stride Right for children are very very pricey, well made shoes. You can have a cheap jacket. You can have a cheap sweater. You can have tangly hair, but if you have unhealthy feet, the rest of your body suffers. And so that is a really great analogy for (laughs) 58 year old body. So am I less of a good mother for Jack? No, I think not. I know that I was a distance runner when Molly and Gracie were born. Distance runners are, are notoriously stiff and not very mobile. So oftentimes, you know, waking up in the morning, I'd hobble downstairs. Even back then, I definitely hobble down the stairs now. When I wake up, I have to really move around and stretch and get up and warm myself up before I can fly up and down the stairs. Let me be clear, once I'm, once I'm awake and warmed up, I'm fine. When we travel and go places, people always assume I'm Jack's grandmother and it's because I look my age, but I don't move my age. And so there are people that sometimes are perplexed, like, okay, some of you seems older, some of you doesn't. You know, I'm very, very physically fit and I think young for my age. And I think that a lot of that is genetic. I have on both sides of my biological family. We live for a long, long time. When I look at a 40-year time period, in 40 years, I'll be 98. And I believe I'll still be alive. 40 years ago, I was 18. That seems a lifetime ago. If I have that many years ahead of me compared to what I had behind me, then, you know, Jack will be well into making his own babies by the time I run off to heaven or, you know, kettlebell lunge off to heaven, however I get there. But there are some very, very big differences. The first difference I noticed the most is my shoulders, my sort of upper body. Holding a baby is a a very rounding activity, and and I suffer for it much more than I did holding Molly and Gracie. Now, I had those two two years apart, so I was holding a baby, you know, for five years. Babies and toddlers, really spending a lot of time with them in my arms. I was also away from them a lot more than I am now. Even in that first, you know, in the first year when I was teaching halftime, I was still out of this house five or six hours a day away from Gracie and then away from Gracie and Molly. And so I think my mother, she had shoulder surgery during her time or just after her time of you know babysitting them. And I can see why now. At my age, holding a baby is a much more grandmotherly activity as opposed to a 24-7 activity. Does that mean I can't do it or Jack is suffering? No, not a bit. The next thing I notice is sleep. Now, I've never been a good sleeper. And again, people that suffer trauma and live in a sort of a trauma-based life don't sleep well which is a terrible double-edged sword because one of the things that can make you heal from anything is good sleep. I noticed that my sleep isn't so good. Two ways. I fall asleep much more easily than I did when I had Gracie and Molly. They would be sound asleep and I'd watch TV and watch TV and finally have to turn it off. I would wake up in the night. That's very, very similar. I don't go back to sleep as easily as I used to. Sometimes I can just be up all night long. One of my big jokes around the similarities between menopause and pregnancy has always been, I'm up all night. Yeah, well, I have, I'm always up all night. You now. I have company. I have this little jack and I will say that my anxiety level around being awake at night is much less now. Even though I had Molly and Gracie with me in the bed, it was just a different a different mindset. And I think part of my insomnia is different. I think a lot of it is physically based just around my age. Recovery time, you know, everything, when you're older, everything is slower and everything takes longer. <laughs> you know, that's why running performances, you know, as a, as a distance runner, Will I ever have a personal record in an event? Only the marathon, because I never run one. Whatever I run will be my personal best. I don't know that I could ever run as fast as I did four years ago. I don't know that I'm supposed to. So there are some big physical differences. Another big difference for me is is nursing, breastfeeding. So I'd produce milk for Jack just fine. And I think I've said before, if the beginning hadn't been so dicey, if I hadn't had such ill-given advice in the beginning, he would have latched on more and my milk production would be much bigger. But he wasn't gaining weight fast enough for the medical profession, which irritates me. He was gaining weight. He was doing fine. He was healthy and moving around. His color was good. Nothing was wrong with Jack. But we live in a medically, talked about this before too, my little rant here. We have these charts and if you don't fit in the chart, if your diagnosis isn't on the list, then you're actually not sick or actually not well and you don't fit the chart. And I find that really incredibly difficult to deal with. I believe it's what contributed to Molly dying. If I went six or seven hours without nursing Gracie or Molly, I was very, very engorged with milk. The body is an amazing thing. You don't walk around with milk all the time. Your body figures out your schedule and produces the milk when you typically nurse. So I will say in the nighttime, if I were to nurse Jack all night long on the right side, I would wake up in the morning with a lot of milk in the left side. And that's very, very typical. That's the same. Jack typically has bottles during the day. I have this amazing wet nurse milk provider. She shares her milk with me, Kelsey. She's phenomenal. So he's very used to and accustomed to that during the day, a bottle with somebody else's breast milk in it. And I think sometimes the combination of the nutrients in her milk and my milk make a really, really profoundly healthy option for Jack. But I don't engorge. He will be gone all day. When he comes home and I nurse, there will be plenty of milk for him. But I don't notice the engorgement and the letdown like I did with Gracie and Molly. And I just think that's age. You know, I drink a lot of water. When I look at my breast milk, I've never had it tested. You know, I'm not a scientist here, but I look at Kelsey's milk, the amount of fat in the milk when it separates out, like the cream rising to the top, that's exactly what happens. And hers is much more pronounced than mine, which I also think is age related. Do I think my breast milk is insufficient? I do not. I think that the connection that Jack and I have, you grow a baby for nine months inside of you, all sorts of things happen. But that is a huge difference for me is the engorgement in the production of milk. And I and I think that's consistent with somebody my age. I love the nursing is just as good if not better. And I think when I say better, it's only because I never thought I would nurse a baby again. And that was a big piece of my loss and grief around losing Molly. She was just 13. When you go through your life, you can't imagine certain things until you get there. And when Molly died, I wasn't ready to have just three years of high school and be done parenting. I still had five years. Molly had five years of school left eighth grade and then high school. That's a long time. I will say that I'm not sure if Molly were to die today, if I would have that dream and that compulsion and that utter need to have another baby. I don't know. You know, when I look at Jack's purpose, we contemplate and talk about it all the time. In 2016, I thought I had a lot of parenting ahead of me, a lot of time. You know, they were just still a couple of grades out of elementary school. And we were just beginning to give their toys away and go through things. But I will say physically, that's that's different. The other thing in this, (laughs) you ladies will understand. So there are two types of women, women that can jump on a trampoline without peeing their pants and women that can't. And I've been a peer my whole life. I remember doing gymnastics if it was trampoline day. You know, there wasn't much I could do about it. I'd go pee and, you know, I wouldn't drink any extra juice with breakfast because I knew we were going to be in the trampoline. I just I just was somebody that, that peed. When I broke five minutes in the mile, one of the pictures, my mother exclaimed, oh, there's a little bubble here. And I said, no, no, that's not a bubble. <laughs> I'm peeing my pains. Because as I sprinted to the finish, I pee. And that was just what I did. I, I've been a peer always. So as women get older and then have babies, the, the joke about sneeze peeing and cough peeing and laugh peeing we pee all the time. It's a very, very big topic of conversation in any CrossFit gym. Certain, you know, climbing the rope, pee the floor, <laughs> front squat, pee on the floor, kipping pull-ups, pee on the floor. And so I find actually that that's a lot worse for me. And again, I just think it's body integrity. I think that a lot of women in menopause have issues around incontinence. I do feel before Jack's birth and getting pregnant with Jack, I had all the pee issues that women have, but not like I do now. So You know, I didn't have a traumatic birth with Jack. He came right out, one push wonder. But I do think that hormonally and all the things that go on in the body, I pee a lot more than I did. I almost never don't wear a pad. So there's a little TMI for y'all. But that's a significant difference for me. It's something I notice. In terms of my ability to chase him around and relate to him, you know, physically speaking, I'm in terrific shape. And, And quite honestly, I'm in a lot better shape than I was at the time that Gracie and Molly were born. Because I had not yet started CrossFit now and I was fit. I was a distance runner, but the weightlifting I did was all machine based and I ran and then if I didn't run, I didn't have a lot of, you know, I'd go on the stair stepper. That was something I did after I couldn't run anymore. When I was growing Gracie and Molly, I would go to the YMCA and do the stair climber because it mimicked running and it was legs and got me out of breath, but it, I was pounding. You know, I think physically in terms of running around and chasing Jack, being present for him, I think I'm no different and maybe even better. I have, believe it or not, better mobility than I had at that age. I can squat down with him in a way that I couldn't with Gracie and Molly. And I'm just here. I'm here with him. I cannot wait for summer. It's April and April will now forever be a really, really heartbreaking month for me. It brings me right back to that April. I don't know how long it will take for that piece to go away. I have this gnawing sort of stomach knot every April since Molly died. And it encompasses all of it. I just relive my life from that month. In terms of parenting Jack, that anxiety comes through as well. Which leads me to the next piece. Raising Jack, what's different like emotionally and mentally now and then? So a couple of things came to mind. Two movies, and both of them starred Diane Keaton. But the first one is Father of the Bride. So I don't know if anyone listening is familiar with that movie, but it was Father of the Bride and Father of the Bride too. And the first one was all about his daughter getting engaged and having to set up this wedding. And Steve Martin is the father. Diane Keaton is the mother. And I'm at a loss right now for who the daughter is, dark-haired, beautiful actress. At any rate, she's getting married and the first movie is all about setting up for this big wedding, this big, beautiful house, all of that. Father of the Bride 2 is the daughter gets pregnant with her first baby. Well, in this movie, Diane Keaton also gets pregnant. So you have Diane Keaton and Steve Martin, who are likely in the movie in their late 40s or early 50s, and you have their daughter who's in her early 20s, and the mother and the daughter get pregnant at the same time. And I remember when this movie came out, I was, I was in my 30s, and I remember thinking, Being a bit horrified, like, are you kidding me? Like, oh my God, they're going to have a baby? It really, really stood out to me. And I'm going to have to rewatch both movies because it was actually really quite forward for its time when I really think about it. You know, here you have parents who who have raised a daughter into adulthood and now have the opportunity to have another baby. And they do, and they give birth actually on the same day. As only Steve Martin and Diane Keaton could pull off, it was really, really well done, super well done. Another movie with Diane Keaton And Jack Nicholson is called Something's Gotta Give. And in this movie, Diane Keaton, again, has an adult daughter. And in the movie, this adult daughter is dating Jack Nicholson, the character. So here's a young woman in her 20s dating someone in his 50s. He has a heart attack and he ends up staying at the beach house that the mother owns. So the daughter and Jack Nicholson break up. The mother and Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson is your quintessential creepy old guy that likes to date young women. Oh, he's all about young bodies and all that sort of stuff. And he's very unhappy. Long story short, in the process of the movie, Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson's characters fall in love and end up in the movie together. In the process of this, the doctor that works on Jack Nicholson's character falls in love with the Diane Keaton character. And he's like 20 years younger. He's a doctor in her 30s. He's he's her daughter's age. And they develop a relationship. They fall in love. And there's a scene in this movie where they're in Paris. So Diane Keaton is in the restaurant with the young doctor. And the Jack Nicholson character is realizing he's really messed up. He wants to have Diane back. He's in love with her. And she's in love with him as well. She she writes a play about the whole scenario and it kind of makes fun of Jack's character. Again, what's in this movie is an older woman and a younger man. Our culture is so unfriendly to women. A 60-year-old man can have a 30-year-old woman because, societally speaking, nothing wrong with a wrinkly old guy dating a newbile young woman. So let's have a 60-year-old woman and a 30-year-old man. People go, What? That's gross. Why is it gross? Why are my 60-year-old wrinkles any different than and a guy's 60-year-old wrinkles. And why should it matter if you love one another? Just two very forward-thinking movies that are prevalent in my mind now when I think about my situation with Jack. I do know when people say, oh, your grandson is beautiful. And I say, no, no, he's my son. I'm that crazy 57-year-old that had the baby. The reactions are positive and supportive, but I know sometimes I just see, I see how people look at me and I see that they look at me with a bit of like surprise and sort of like, ew, because we think of motherhood as something that young, Women do that, you know. Young people have babies, and they do. Once you have your period, you can have a baby. You know, forty years ago, I could easily have had a baby, and four years later, I have a baby. So those things come to mind. So, so in the emotional sort of social aspect of of raising Jack, outwardly looking in, I was an older mother with Gracie and Molly. I was thirty eight and forty. I was the last, of most of my high school friends, to have babies. Again, I was already an older mother, and I you know I had to have an amniocentesis. They did not even do those anymore. But that was because I was over thirty five, and you know, and actually, that's what found the birth defect in baby Gordy. So, you know, I, I guess I'm glad that they did those tests back then. So that's a bit different. The other things that that are different actually are quite positive. So my friends who are grandparents already and who love their grandbabies love the idea of a baby around the house because they love seeing their grandbabies. Now we all know the best part of a grandchild is that you can give it to the parents and go to bed. But I also know several of my friends who love having their grandchildren over for the weekend and spending, spending significant time with them. And a lot of the conversation is around how differently they manage them than they manage their own kids. And it's not that just the times have changed, you know, but the attitudes change. So if you imagine life as a mountain where you're born at ground level, sea level, and when you finally get to heaven, you're, you're at the top of a peak. Maybe you're at 5,000 feet, maybe you're at 10,000 feet. Maybe you're on top of Mount Everest and you're like, oh, 20,000 feet. I think if there's an analogy to what we learn and how we grow in life, that would be it. That really, we do things that either impede our climb or help our climb and make our climb steep or make it less steep. The best part emotionally and socially about, about being Jack's mother now is that I have such a bigger perspective. I'm higher up the mountain of life. The tree line has, has diminished. The trees are now shrubs and bushes and I can see over them. I can turn around and look behind me. As a child hiking the 4,000 in New Hampshire, one of my favorite times, we'd be hiking along. And of course, you're looking at the ground because you don't want to trip over a rock. And so you're concentrating on other senses, how things smell, how they hear, how they look in the woods. And suddenly the light would change, the air would change, the smells would change, the sounds would change. And I would stop and turn around and you could see out. So you were still in the woods, but when you, when you turned around, so you were looking down you know, the mountain was down behind you and you look straight ahead into the horizon. Not my window here. You could tell that you're up high. You could see through the trees was now just blue sky. It wasn't just trees. As a child, that was one of my favorite pieces of hiking because it was that transition, that beginning of the ability to see. And you have no idea where you are, where you are looks like until you can look down on it and see everything around it. That's called perspective. In the mountain of life, having Jap now, 20 years after my other babies. Gives me incredible perspective on things that I didn't have the ability to see 20 years ago because I hadn't lived the 20 years necessary to see it. I'd have a lot less anxiety around childcare. I did not want to leave Gracie and Molly. I remember the first year I started track camp, Gracie was two months old and I sobbed in my car. Why did I start a camp? Why am I doing this? I should be whole. I shouldn't be leaving my baby. It was it was a gut-wrenching, horrible feeling. Now, granted, she was eight weeks old. I might have felt that way a bit around Jack too, but Now that I know how many people Jack will meet in his life and how many people Gracie and Molly met in their life, I see that there is absolutely nothing wrong with sending him off to big boy school. (laughs) You know, because what he sees is other people caring for him in a safe, nurturing environment. He sees other children. He can look at children older than him. He goes to the glass and watches them play. These are all things that Molly and Gracie did with one another here, but also I was much more committed to them staying with my mother than I was sending them off. In retrospect, it might've been good for both of them to spend one or two days a week at a childcare center. Not that my mother didn't do an amazing job, she did. But Molly was more than ready for preschool, just so ready when she finally went that two days a week for three hours wasn't enough. And then three days a week wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. She needed more. Gracie, It took her four months at preschool to even open her mouth and talk. She was terrified. Now, she was tender. It might have been been terrifying for her to go to child care center. But if she went from the very beginning early on, she would have grown accustomed to it. And she might have had some social feet. I didn't ever make Molly and Gracie have jobs. You know, and Molly never really got old enough to have one. But if they were getting good grades and they were busy with their activities, I felt like they were already doing what they were supposed to do. They didn't have a lot of household chores. I just wanted them to focus on being as best as they could be at what they did. I generally still feel that way now. I don't know in 15 years when Jack is old enough to have a job how I'll feel about it, but I do know that children, we push them to grow up, we push them to read, we push them to write. We learn so much from our experiences, experiential learning, that the desire to push in all of that is no bigger for me with Jack than it was with Gracie and Molly. If anything, it's the opposite. I know that they're going to be fine. I look at Gracie and all that she's gone through, and she's thriving at Disney. She's doing an amazing job in her life. She's a beautiful, kind, soon to be 21 year old. And all I can say is that I think no matter how you do it when they're babies, when they're 21, people are generally the same. You know, with the exception of child abuse and trauma, bad things happening, I think children end up sort of okay. You know, I look at a lot of children I know who have had horrific childhoods, terrible parenting, if any at all, and they're successful and doing well. The biggest difference I think is that I don't have that horrible mom guilt when I'm not with Jack. He needs to spend a lot of time with Kenny. Kenny is a good father. That's his father figure. He needs to spend a lot of time with him. I still do all of the organizing and planning and setting up the days. When Molly and Gracie were little, Kenny went off and worked 60 hours a week. And, and he, you know, at his age, he's 66. So he was a product of the fifties and the sixties. He was born in 1955. The mothers did it all. And if they were working mothers, then they hired nannies and they took care of it. And the dads were primarily invisible, you know, His dad was an OBGYN, gone most of the time. He doesn't remember a lot of his dad being involved in a lot of those things. He remembers him at holidays. He remembers him at sporting events and things like this. Wonderful father, but very absent. Can't be on call at a hospital and be home. You can't do both. His mother was a very quintessential. She volunteered. You know, she was the wife of a physician in a very upscale town. And so she did all the things that someone in her piece of society should be. So there were housekeepers and nannies and things to take care of the day-to-day aspects of Kenny and his siblings. Did his mother love him? Oh my God, with a full heart, but that was his reality. And so when it comes to like making a doctor's appointment or filling out an insurance paper, all of that, that just falls on me. There's a part of me that if there's a new sort of frustration around that, it's that, you know, he's retired and doesn't have any responsibilities outside of his home. He has only jab and his own health issues. And so there's a part of me that gets angry when I feel that we're splitting household chores 50-50. Well, I still have a job and I'm putting together a foundation and I have all night long with Jack because I'm the, I'm the nursing mother and the co-sleeper. We sleep separately. I can get frustrated. I wasn't frustrated with Kenny's absence with Gracie and Molly because he was working. You know, he was earning money and, and providing for his family. That part is different for me. I still have all of those responsibilities and I'm still a vital piece of society in terms of having a job. Building Molly's foundation and you know all of the things that I feel you know need to come and need to happen. That's a bit different, you know. Kenny is one to say it's so much easier now because I don't have to go anywhere. Well, okay, I don't find it all that much easier, but again, I think it's just the different perspectives, the parenting perspectives. And you know, Kenny and I, in many ways, look parallel lives. One of the notes that my editor put in, you know, in things to talk about in the podcast was, you know, a healthy marriage produces a healthy family, and I will say. A healthy marriage, yes. Marriage in general, people being married for the children, that's seldom a positive decision, a positive reason to stay married. In my religion, the family is considered the foundation of society, a society full of healthy, healthy, loving families, husbands and wives or spouses, doesn't have to be husbands and wives, wives and wives, husbands and husbands, however you want to say it. A couple that loves one another, respects one another and produces children and raises those children in or gets children and raises them in a healthy environment, creates a healthy society. Those children go out of their healthy homes and practice accepting and loving and kind friendship skills and learning skills and all of this. Children that come out of dysfunctional, unhealthy homes struggle. They're not the reason society is bad, but a lot of the things that are wrong with us as humanity come from very unhealthy behaviors that happen in the early years of children's lives. Do I have to be happily married to Kenny for Jack to have a good life? No, no. He could have a wonderful life. And Kenny and I are not happily married. We're not married at all. We do the best we can as partners to keep Jack happy. When Molly and Gracie were born, things hadn't, the first foot surgery, (laughs) life hadn't gotten bad yet. So we were still doing really well as a couple. Our finances were good. Everything was good still. I hadn't ventured into what would ultimately, I feel, lead me down a path that culminated with Molly's death and me trying really hard to make sense of it all. That's also very different. Having said that, I am 58 years old, 58 years into living in this body on this planet. I could be teased for my age, you know, okay, boomer. But I have all of that experience and all of that knowledge and all of that perspective to be able to turn around and say to Jack in a way that I couldn't say to Gracie and Molly, well, let's ponder it this way. Let's think about it that way. One of the big things that parents often say is because I said so. Why do I have to go to bed right now? Because I said so. So much of life, we want it to be that way. Actually, when I think back to my years with Roy, because I said so. (laughs) Oh God, I love these memories. It was just funny. There were so many times where his frustration would bring him to say, why don't you just do what I say? (laughs) And, you know, he obviously had confidence in whatever it was he thought I should do or say or think or believe. But it doesn't work that way. That isn't life. Because I said so is never an answer for people. And I have to be very careful not to be that person in my relationship with Kenny. There are times when I get frustrated. Just do what I say. Not a good way to be. You know, it just, it doesn't, and it doesn't work with kids. Yes, children need to learn to respect their elders and follow direction. And perhaps when the teacher says line up and the student says, why? Well, it's lunchtime. Why do I have to line up? Well, because I said so. (laughs) Maybe it works. I don't know. But I find that that's another big difference as well. When I'm frustrated, here's a good example. We, We're exhausted. We all went to bed at like eight o'clock. So Kenny went up. I'm sleeping down here with Jack right now. And Jack had shown all signs of being tired, but you know, we get in bed and suddenly it's playtime. And it took him about an hour from eight o'clock till he kept crawling off the bed, crawling into the kitchen. Now I have to get up out of bed, go get him, bring him back. It was frustrating. I got very, very frustrated at one point. He dropped the clicker and the batteries went rolling and I turned all the lights on and find the batteries, you know, ridiculous, ridiculous. But I got really frustrated and he noticed it. Jack notices these things. Babies are so, so observant. And he got that little tender face and got a bit upset. And so I just, can he understand all that I'm saying? He can understand a lot of it. And I just explained, I was frustrated. I'm anxious about my surgery. It's time to go to bed. It would be very, very helpful if we could just go to the nights, you know, and all this. Now he got out of the bed like five more times, but I don't know that I would have sat and spent all that time explaining it to Gracie and Molly. times were different. Kenny and I were a unit. We all slept in one big bed together. It was just different. Sometimes it's apples and oranges, but I do know that my desire to explain things to Jack is much bigger than it was when I was giving life and reason. Gracie and Molly was just a lot different. So, another thing now that comes to mind for me is the whole it takes a village. So, I've talked about not feeling so guilty around sharing Jack. My age is a big, a big driver of that force. I was very clear with Gracie and Molly that they should have lots of mommies. There's nothing wrong with having lots and lots of women and lots of people to lean on. Always. And when Molly died, Gracie had several moms that were right there for her. I feel that way about Jack. He needs to have guys in his life. I do believe when it comes to mortality and us dying, barring some unknown disease I might have, Kenny will probably go first. He's eight years older than me. His health is tricky. Now, his family has longevity as well. So, And even so, even if he lived to 98, I'd be 90. He would go and I would have eight more years, right? So so when I look at that, I feel like Jack needs to have as many daddies in his life as he can. I remain hopeful that he can have a relationship with his older brothers. One of them is quite willing (laughs) to get to know Jack. I love hearing Kenny's stories about Jack and his brother, Kenny, playing and all that kind of stuff. I'm hoping that someday he'll have a relationship with his older brother, Davey, that provides, let's not be around the bush here. Davey's old enough to be his dad. He has a son a year older than Jack. But that's a person, a family person, a trustworthy person that would be a good role model for Jack. When I go to CrossFit in Amesbury, B, Coach B, I love that Jack has B in his life because B has 21 years of life and it doesn't have the responsibility of parenting Jack. He just gets to be Coach B. And I know as my CrossFit journey goes along, I have a lot of goals that I want to accomplish hence the foot surgery and all as an athlete. And I feel... Oftentimes the universe connects us to the people we're supposed to meet. And I can see B as a big part of my prospect journey as a competitive athlete. Now Jack has coach B in his life. and This is a good thing. This is a wonderful thing. Gracie, so, you know, she's his big sister. I don't look at her as a mother figure as much as I might look at Jack's brothers as father figures because Gracie is a sibling here. A connection to Jack here in our house It's just different. I often feel that sometimes that Jack is Gracie's only sibling because she doesn't have relationships with the other ones which is also just a part of the dynamics of family. I feel that sharing Jack with the, my community is much more important than it was with Gracie and Molly because statistically speaking at 58, he will have a lot less years of me than Gracie will have, 20 to be exact. <laughs> when I go, Gracie will have a 20-year you know, lead on time spent with me as Jack. So these are things that sometimes are coming to play. The final thing I'm going to talk about All of these things, I'm using Jack as an example. When I meet somebody and have a new friendship, I'm very, very different in my friendships than I was 20 and 30 years ago. If I were to start dating, I can guarantee you it would be very, very different than it was 20 and 30 years ago. There's just too much perspective now. I've gone through too much. Let me be clear, I have no desire to date. I have way too much to resolve and fix before I could even think about having feelings for anybody. You know, and a lot of that comes from my journey with Kenny and my situation with Roy. I have way too much in front of me, but should I ever get to a point where that is something I want want to do? I am very clear it would be very, very different. I just don't have the desire at all until I've processed through a lot of my own trauma issues and really a lot of the devastation around Roy. I I don't see any of that coming up. All of that weighs into how I am with Jack and all of these differences are true with anything. You know, when I think of training for the CrossFit Games, that's a big goal I have to make it when I turn 60 to be a master's athlete in the CrossFit Games. I will approach that so much differently than I would have approached training for the Olympic trials as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old. You know, so many things go into that, diet and exercise, meditation and inner health and outer health and all of it. So much of this is a big piece of my parenting, Jack, but it would be the same for anything. Whatever you're contemplating in your life. You utilize your experience to make the next best decision. And ignoring your experience is, again, back to the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I have never been, so at that point in my life as I am right now. Which brings me to the last thing. What do what? I put aside and ignore for myself in Parenting Jack? That is a huge theme in my life, always has been. Filling up my life with unnecessary details to distract me from time alone in my head so that I can not feel traumatized. All that does is keep me from doing a lot of things I wanna do. In my podcast journey, in my online journey, my building a website and building Molly's foundation, all of these things are very Barb-centered activities. The hardest person for me to deal with is myself. I just, getting into my head. So in my book, The Body Keeps the Score, I'm into the healing chapters now, going through all the different ways that we heal. And one of the biggest things for people that have suffered trauma, traumatic losses, job loss, relationship loss, child loss, abuse, war, whatever your loss and trauma is. One of the biggest things you have to do is learn how to sit in it. You have to be able to relive the trauma in a way that doesn't re-traumatize you. You can never undo it. I can never get unabused. You can't undo what you saw in war. Molly can't undie. None of the traumas can be fixed, but how I live with the trauma, how the trauma affects me most certainly can be improved upon. And that's a big piece. And for me, the big hallmark to how I'm doing is how fast am I running around? If my spiritual mentor KK could see how hectic and traumatic and crazy my first 12 months with Jack have been, she would just shake her head because I know better. And I know that I know better. But the logical mind, the rational mind can't function if the traumatized mind has any measure of control. And I feel that I am at equal places, maybe even worse, with Jack and with Molly and Gracie, because I have so much trauma behind me. I straddle a fence of worrying about every little thing and realizing it doesn't freaking matter. What's gonna happen is gonna happen. There's a balance there. And obviously learning how to walk, walk the fence and have aspects of both is probably the most healthy. What do I ignore and put aside? Organizing my house. The bins in my office have been here since the TV people came. That was in October, it's April getting the Molly Bee Foundation done. I started that Molly Bee website in August. So it was a two week job. Had I just focused on it, it would have been up and running for months. I don't, it still isn't live. This is not anyone's fault but my own. I am fortunate to have my editor is very, very organized and very meticulous. And when I think back to hiring him in the first place to where I am now, I could not have foreseen how much help I would need to just sort of manage this part. I can talk into a microphone fairly easily. All that goes around making it this a much better experience I struggle with. Is it self-sabotage? Maybe. Is it because I have to slow down and stop and really focus on myself? Absolutely. That's the hardest part for me. The hardest piece of my life is that self-focus. When I read in The Body Keeps the Score, what I have to do, it's a lot. There's EMDR, which I think I need to go back for. There's the self-realization. I'm reading the yoga chapter now. Oh, God, help me. You know, I've always, always hated yoga. Well, it's because I don't like to sit. But I think I'm learning that I'm going to need to sit to really get better. And then there's a theater aspect. I don't find it a coincidence at all that Molly's foundation primarily supports activities around theater and the arts and performing. And I realized that maybe that's exactly why I'm right here where I am. So in my efforts to be a better mother to Jack, I will say I have a much better ability to just sit with him because I don't have to rush off to be at Concord High School at 745 in the morning. So like this morning, for example, I have a lot to do. I have a surgery coming up. But I slept until 15 because Jack and I were exhausted. I have the flexibility and freedom to do so. Is it going to put a, a bit of a rush in my day? Yes. But that is probably the first step for me in really, really focusing on what I need is knowing that I can sleep in if I need to sleep in. Teeny little thing. But another 45 minutes of sleep makes all the difference in the world. So I don't know if this has been helpful or interesting. I do know that I look at so much of life so differently. I don't think Diane Keaton dating the the doctor who's 30 years younger than she is in the movie. Weird at all. Actually, I have a good friend, Carol Leonard. Her, the love of her life is almost 20 years younger than she is. And their love story is phenomenal. She has done a podcast and written a couple of books, Bad Beaver Tales. She's hilarious and has such a wonderful outlook on life. Carol Leonard, this is a shout out from you. But she gives such credibility to living your life and doing it the way you want to do it, you know, without worrying about what other people think. I mean, of course, she- Not that she worries. She takes what other people think and really, really spins it and twists it into a really healthy way of life. She's somebody that Jack-Jack needs to meet. And so that will have to happen. So anyway, I think I've covered it all. Physical differences, I think we're there. I actually lost the weight much easier this time around too. You know, I didn't gain as much, but I lost it quite quickly. So I've covered quite a bit of it. So in your own lives, you know, I'm I'm not a self-help person. I'm not, my motivations around the podcast can be very selfish sometimes. It really helps me to talk about these things. But I also want to use the things I say, the things that most people don't talk about, don't want to share. I want them to be helpful. I want somebody to listen to something I say and feel better about something they say or do, or have a new idea about how they could fix or cope or navigate something that they're going through. That's my, my big balance. So on April 14th, I will say happy birthday to Gracie's boyfriend, Evan. Happy birthday, Evan, 21 now. By the time this comes out, Gracie will potentially be 21 or just a few days from turning 21 that will be exciting so happy birthday Gracie I'll say it to you too and I will be you know two weeks into returning to a high level of fitness and athletic performance I'm excited about that that's one of my sort of major goals in my life and I think a lot of things go along with that so I want to say hi to my CrossFit Apesbury friends I'm going to miss you terribly over the next week or two I will be back on crutches to work out soon I want to thank my local community for being so supportive and loving and helpful Do something nice for yourself today. Take good care of yourself. And then do something nice for someone else. As Molly would say, make people happy. Have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Times Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.